book of Mark chronicles the last three years of Jesus here on earth. They were pretty intense years, to say the least. Since meeting John the Baptist, he was faced with temptations in the desert, performed miracles, healed people, gained followers, was transfigured and died a criminal's death, only to be raised from the dead. <clears throat> Why should all this matter to you and me? Join us for the last three. Well, good evening, church. How's everyone doing this evening? Amen. It was good to be with you all. Uh, I'm excited for the passage that we're going to be jumping into this evening. If you have been joining us for the past couple weeks, you know, as you just saw in the bumper video, that the sermon series we are in is called The Last Three. We're moving through the book of Mark all the way up until Easter. And the book of Mark chronicles the last three years of Jesus' life. And so we're going to be moving through this book slowly, but um, really we're still going to be skipping over some sections because if we were to deal with every event and every teaching in the book of Mark, even though it's the shorter uh, gospel, we would be in this book for a year or two years because there's so much that happens even in this gospel, which is shorter than the others. Now, the Gospel of Mark has been moving us through a few sections. We're going to be in chapter 5 tonight. So if you have your Bible with you, you can turn to Mark chapter 5. We're going to be through verse 1 through 20. If you have the app, you can always open the notes section. You have the passages there. You also have additional sermon notes that I've added for you uh, to track along with me and also to refer back later in the week when you go to small group or you have personal worship time uh, yourself. So let me kind of catch us up to speed because I think it's important that we journey with Jesus through these last three years of his ministry. So Jesus, right before uh, we pick up in Mark chapter 5, we see that he begins to teach with parables. Last week we looked into one of those parables. That's the parable of the mustard seed. Jesus is teaching and he's preaching and he's explaining what the kingdom of God is like. Small beginnings but a large triumphal end in the mustard seed. Right after Jesus is teaching the parables, he and the disciples get into a boat and they're going to cross the Sea of Galilee. Now, as they cross the Sea of Galilee, they're moving to the eastern side to an area that's called the Gerasenes. It's a country or a region with several towns and it's called the area of the Gerasenes. Now, on the way over to this area, while they're in the Sea of Galilee, a storm arises out of nowhere. This is a very famous story in the life of Jesus. It's where all of a sudden a storm comes out of nowhere, which was common in the Sea of Galilee. If you've been there before, you've seen pictures. It has a mountain range around it. So winds and rain will come over the storm really quickly without any notice. And so it comes upon the disciples and Jesus while they're in this boat. And Jesus is sleeping. The disciples are panicking. They're full of fear. And the wave is crashing on the side of the boat. The water is pouring over. And they look at Jesus and they think he does not care about them. They actually charge this to Jesus. He does not care. He's unconcerned. He's sleeping while we're panicking. We think we're going to die. So they wake Jesus up and Jesus calmly just says, peace, be still. And the waves and the wind in a moment has ceased. Now the disciples says they're afraid. Why are they afraid? 
because the power of Jesus is so difficult for them to fathom. Now, they've seen Jesus do some miraculous things already. He's healed someone who was paralyzed. He has brought somebody back who is terminally ill to restored life. He has cured a man of leprosy. He has cast out demons from people. And yet now they're afraid because Jesus is in control of even nature. Now, this is the framework by which we enter into the story this evening. And that's important to know because the disciples are kind of rattled. Jesus has said to them, why do you have no faith? Why don't you understand who I am? So they're, they're kind of rattled. <laughs> this whole event has just taken place. And they get off of the boat in this country region known as the Gerasenes. And that's where we pick up in Mark chapter 5, starting in verse 1. We're going to just read verse 1 through 13 to begin. Here's what God's word says to us. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, here's what's taken place. And I, I want you to engage with me this evening in this passage, a very bizarre passage, another rattling event. And it deals with something that's uh, quite foreign to many of us and maybe even a little unsettling. And that is the demonic. Even saying that word makes us feel a little bit uncomfortable. The demonic or demonic influence or evil spirits or unclean spirits. And yet we're going to learn something here in the passage about the reality of our world, what we face, what we struggle against, but also the power of Jesus. So Jesus gets out of the boat, and as he gets out of the boat, a man starts running towards him from the tombs, from the graveyard, essentially. Now remember, the disciples are already rattled after what's taken place. This man running towards them is not clothed, and he is bleeding because he cuts himself with stones. As he's running there, the disciples are probably like, what is going on? This is the most bizarre day of all time. And this man is also known to the community. It's not just some random person there in the tombs. 
You see, it says that the community has tried to help him, the nearby town and city. They've tried to help him. They tried to bind him so that he wouldn't hurt himself, and yet he has this uncommon strength, and he would break their shackles. And so what does the city do? The city and its people send this man to the tombs by the water's edge. Essentially, they send him to his death. He is symbolically dead to them. There's nothing they can do. He should live among the dead. And they hear him at night crying out and shrieking. Probably avoid that area altogether. So this man is running towards Jesus and he falls down before him and he says, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Now, They've never been to this region before with Jesus, so they're already shocked that this man knows who Jesus is, but then also says that Jesus is the Son of the Most High God, saying he's the Messiah, he's the Savior, he's God in the flesh. What have you to do with me? You see, the spirit within this man that is possessed is immediately recognizing who Jesus is and his power. And the spirit is on the defensive, and the spirit is speaking out of this man. And it says that Jesus is commanding the spirit to come out. Come out of this man, you unclean spirit. And in this process, Jesus also says to the man, what is your name? And the demon answers the question and says, my name is Legion, for we are many. Now, imagine if you were there and you heard that. It's already a shocking event, and now this man, who has a demon speaking for him, has now just said, there's about three to 4,000, three to 6,000 of us that have possessed this man, because legion was a Roman term used to describe three to 6,000 soldiers. So they're there, and there's a man before Jesus, naked and bleeding, who says that he's possessed by three to 6,000 demons. What is going on? Jesus commands this evil spirit out of the man, and we'll see in a moment the significance and the interesting nature of him sending the demons into the pigs. But see, Jesus is teaching something. There's two things we learn. One is a response, as we'll see later, and one is something that Jesus is teaching in this moment. And that is the focus or the purpose of the demonic. See, the demonic are focused on distorting the image of God in a person. It is about destroying and distorting the image of God in a person. So destructive forces and destructive influences and demonic influences or oppression or whatever it may be is looking to destroy the image of God in a person. And what's interesting is that when we think about this, oftentimes we think in in accord with a story like this. We think about the demonic and demonic influences kind of in a a possession type of arena because most of our interaction with this has been through media, through movies, the exorcism and others. And some of you are like, I don't watch horror movies. I don't watch any of that. Stay far away. I don't know who Emily Rose is, but I heard there's a movie about it. I don't want to watch it. That's our association. It it seems like this where someone is possessed and and a demon or an unclean spirit is speaking for them. But this is very rare in reality, and it's also very rare in the Bible. This is not something that was like a common occurrence 2,000 years ago, and now we've kind of evolved beyond that. This is also shocking for the disciples to see and to experience. 
But just because it's rare to have a demon speak for a person, what is common is how the demonic or destructive demonic forces speak to us in culture. May not speak from our mouth, like in this scenario, but speaks to us. Because remember, the purpose and the focus of the demonic is to destroy the image of God in a person. And so we have demonic or destructive influences and messaging and culture that wants to do just that. Oftentimes, that is actually how the demonic works in a society. Speaking through accepted cultural norms and messaging and views that want to distort the image of God within you and pull you away from God's truth. So I wrote down a few things that I thought about that we hear today. Here's one of them. Absolute truth is narrow and exclusive, and truth, therefore, must be relative. Truth must be what you define for your truth. It's not about the truth. It's about my truth. That's destructive. Because what does it cause you to do? To believe that truth is defined by you, and therefore, this, which we believe as a church, is the word of God. It is truth. It doesn't contain some truth. It's not for you to determine what is true for you and what is not. No, this is truth. Absolute truth. We also hear messages like this. The greatest good in your life is your personal comfort and pleasure. And that you should seek after that at all costs. Because you only have one life to live. And therefore, it's okay to be selfish because it's your life. So you need to do what's good for you and your comfort and your pleasure. Another message we hear is this. Money doesn't equal happiness. We're good with that. It sounds right. That sounds kind of biblical. But we also do believe and hear that money equals power and you can buy happiness with power. And then lastly, and and maybe one of the most destructive messages that we hear in our culture, speaking out, looking to distort the image of God in a person, is that religion and spirituality is an individual pursuit. It is for you to determine what you want to believe and what works for you and what doesn't work for you. Again, truth is relative. Spirituality is relative. Faith is relative. It leads you away from the person of God and the person of Christ and who we see God to be and who we we are called to be as his people into this individual pursuit. You see, oftentimes the demonic wants to work through messaging and accepted norms and views within culture, not necessarily out of a person's mouth. Because it wants to distort the image of God in you. And so, back to the man who is possessed. Legion knows that he's no match for Jesus. And there's this desire within these demonic spirits, these unclean spirits, to destroy. Now, this man is almost completely destroyed. He's bleeding, his body's falling apart, he's not clothed, he can't speak for himself. And so in this process, Jesus, as he's casting out the spirits, the spirits say that they want to be cast into the pigs. And Jesus obliges and sends them into the pigs, these spirits, and the pigs then run off the cliff and drown in the sea. Now, You may ask, why did Jesus oblige the spirits? Why did he send them, not into the country like they didn't want to be sent, but sent them into the pigs and 2,000 pigs jumped to their death? I don't know. 
That's just being honest. If someone tells you this is the reason, I don't think that's fair. I mean, I don't know. I have an idea of something that he's doing, but that's really confusing. Why would he send them into the pigs? I think we're going to see that Jesus anticipated a response where he's going to teach something, but he's also reaffirming what I just said. That the demonic, its focus and its purpose is is after distorting and destroying total destruction of a person and pulling them away from the image of God. See, it's a very graphic image. It's a visceral image. But what happens immediately upon the spirits going into the pigs, the the pigs jump to their death and drown. They're completely destroyed. See, Jesus here is... In a, with a graphic illustration, teaching to the disciples once again the purpose and the focus of the demonic and to us as we read. It, total destruction. Removing and distorting someone away from the image of God and to death. Now, in the West, we really struggle with this. Even as I was preaching this morning, I was thinking it's, it's even a little bit uncomfortable to use the word demonic over and over again. Because we don't use that word a lot. I mean, how many times have you had a conversation with friends and had a conversation around evil spirits? You know, like, hey, we got happy hour this week. We're going to have a conversation on evil spirits. We don't talk about this much. Why? Because in the West, we think that everything, and this is the messaging that we're given, everything is to have a natural cause and a scientific explanation. We, we, we can explain everything away with psychology and with sociology. I mean, we're so narcissistic. We think we can fix everything, right? So we, we take things that most of us in the room would, would ascribe the term evil to. Things like violence and abuse and racism and greed and self-centeredness. We would say that these things are evil. These are bad things. And yet... We believe that we can fix them, right? So much of the messaging around these things is that if we just fix psychology, if we just fix sociological factors, that we can actually find a society and establish a society where these things are not the case anymore. We can fix it. We're so narcissistic. And I think that's true for even us in the room. We're not exempt in the church, friends. How do we know that? When you're struggling with something, when you're, when you're facing an issue in your life, whatever it may be, and you know that it's, it's evil, it's oppressive, whatever it may be, oftentimes our first response is to figure out how we can fix the thing ourselves. Not to say, God, let me surrender this to you in prayer. I don't know all the factors at play. Let me give this to you. I want to ask you. I want to cast my cares on you. I want you to work. I want your strength. I want your spirit to guide me. I want you to remove any darkness and any evil that is pressing in on this situation, this relationship, this struggle. We just think to ourselves, here's how I'm going to change my schedule. Here's how I'm going to alter that relationship. Here's how I'm going to do that because I'm going to fix it. We think that we can fix everything because everything has a natural cause or a scientific explanation. There was a book written long ago, actually not too long ago, by a man named Andrew Del Banco. And he is a scholar from Colombia. He is not a man of faith. And he wrote this book called The The Death of Satan. Listen to what he says in the opening of his book. 
Here's a quote. A gulf has opened in our culture between the visibility of evil and the intellectual resources to cope with it. He goes on to say, we have jettisoned in the West the idea of cosmic evil or trans transcendental evil or supernatural evil. We don't believe in it. In fact, we don't even like to use the word evil because it implies moral absolutes and value judgments. So we use medical terms. We talk about dysfunction. We talk about pathology. We don't use moral terminology. But as the 20th century has gone on, it has gotten harder and harder to say that the Holocaust and ethnic cleansing and serial killing is just bad psychological and sociological adjustments. Wow. He's right. What we hear in our culture is that really we can fix everything. The real problem is psychological issues and sociological issues. And he's identifying, not as a person of faith, not as someone reading scripture, that we have a real problem in our culture in the West, and that is that we cannot account for the depth and the pervasiveness of evil in society or even within our own hearts. We struggle to account for it. We struggle to think supernaturally, to see that there's anything else happening but a natural cause or a scientific cause or something that needs a psychological or sociological solution. But the Bible doesn't have this problem. You see, we believe as people of faith that psychological factors and sociological factors are at play in issues and struggles and evil and brokenness in the world. These things are at play. But they are not the root cause of what we face as individuals and as a society. We believe the root cause is, is within each and every one of us. And that is sin. That we have an innate soul that bends towards self-centeredness and selfishness. That psychological and sociological factors may aggravate and expand and unsettle that innate sin within us, but that is actually the root cause. That is not something that we can simply fix. Remember, the focus of the demonic is to destroy the image of God within us. And the reason I'm, I'm pushing upon this is because I want you to see how. How does that happen in the West? How does that happen in Miami? Through cultural messaging and accepted norms and outside influences that are looking to distort the image of God within you by bringing your sin to the forefront and calling it good. Bringing your sin to the forefront of your life and calling it good. By fanning the flame of your depravity and actually hiding your depravity and saying that these things that you desire deep within your flesh are actually good when in fact they are not. Calling your sin good. And we may miss this at times because we like to ascribe all of our issues to other factors. But there is a deeper spiritual factor at play. It's as if Jesus is saying with the pigs, don't miss it. The purpose of the demonic and demonic influences is to destroy. That there are destructive influences at work. The apostle Paul understood this as well. And that's why he says in the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, verse 12, can't get any more clear than this. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the 
spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. What we are wrestling against is not only factors in our world that are a byproduct of sin. We're, fa- we're actually wrestling with spiritual factors at play, supernatural factors. The demonic, in fact, is present within our culture and our society in this present darkness. It is a fact and a truth. And here is what the devil wants to do. You see, the devil's name is Diabolos, which means a liar. The devil is a lie. You know that? And what the devil wants to do is he wants you to do one of two things. To either either overestimate his power or underestimate him. Wants you to overestimate his power, to believe that he's, he's something to be feared and something to be ignored and don't even talk about the demonic. I don't even want to think about it. In fact, this sermon's making me uncomfortable. You're saying devil and demons and things like that way too much. He's so powerful so that you will ignore other factors in your life that actually are at play and at work that cause some of the struggle and the issues and the pain that you face. And that you might be fearful, but why would you not overestimate the power of the devil who is a liar of demonic influence. Well, because what do we see here? Immediately, these spirits, Legion understands they are no match for Jesus. Immediately. They knew they're going to be cast out. They have no say about it. And when you, are, when you come to faith in Christ and you surrender, we say that you are united to Christ. We read that in Scripture. That by the Holy Spirit, you are united to Christ. You have the Spirit of Christ living and active within you, which means what? You should not fear the devil. You should have a happy hour and talk about evil spirits and not be afraid. Because you have Christ living and active within you. The most powerful force in all the world. Jesus Christ Living and active within you as the spirit abides within our hearts and our life. You should not be afraid. But also, you should not underestimate either demonic influence. This is what I think really happens in our world, in our lives. We don't even want to think about it. We ascribe everything to other factors. I'll give you an example of how the devil wants to accomplish these things. An overestimation or an underestimation. Take a common struggle that I know many of us struggle with and has been on the rise in the past two years in particular, and that's depression. Depression, some people overestimate demonic influence, and they say, my depression is solely spiritual. It's all because of the devil and, and satanic oppression or whatever terminology. Well, the devil loves that because then you're going to ignore other factors at play. Or we underestimate. My depression is completely chemical. It's psychological. You see, that also leads you to ignore other factors like God's word, which calls you to cast your cares upon God because he cares for you. To believe that there's victory and power and liberation in the person of Christ. An overestimation or an underestimation when we need to think rightly about the reality that we live in and what we struggle against and what we face and the things that affect us and bring about these difficulties and struggles in our life. It's not only psychological and sociological factors, it's also this present darkness, demonic influence and demonic powers. And see, 
when you underestimate, which I think is what's the case here in this region, in the region of the Gerasenes, when you underestimate demonic influence, what you see happen is the establishment of demonic systems. And demonic systems want to destroy the image of God in a culture. You see, destructive forces, the devil himself, he wants to destroy the image of God in a person. But often, as I've been saying, the way he does it is within a culture by establishing demonic systems because the culture has completely ignored him. We have completely ignored the demonic in our world. And we're not the only ones that know it. As Andrew Del Banco says, who's a Columbia-educated scholar, not a person of faith, he says, listen, we, we have a problem. We've ignored supernatural spiritual forces at work. And demonic systems are established. I didn't read verse 14 through 17, but I want to pick us up there. Look what happens. Right after Jesus sends the evil spirits into the pigs and they run and jump off the cliff and they drown in the sea, we read this in verse 14 and 15. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. So they spread the news all around. And people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Just like when Jesus calmed the storm. Now they are afraid too at the power of Jesus because they've tried to do everything to help this man or to bind this man. And they were unsuccessful. So they symbolically cast him out to the tombs. He was dead to them. And now they're sitting before him. He is clothed and he's in his right mind. And they've heard that Jesus has cast out this legion of demons. And they're afraid. Then we read this. Verse 16 and 17. And those who had seen it described to them, to this crowd of people, the leaders of the city, what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to, to depart from their region. You notice that. When they see the man there sitting in his right mind, clothed, transformed, they're not begging Jesus to leave. They only beg Jesus to leave, which in the Greek means to cast out. They're compelling him. Jesus, we don't want you here. You're not welcome in this region. They're only doing that when they hear the account of exactly what happened. Jesus cast the demons out of this man into the pigs, it says. And once they hear about what happened with the pigs, they want to kick Jesus out of their country. Why? Because he messed with their economy. Isn't that interesting? There's a demonic system at play here. You see, this city, this region in Gerasenes was a part of a larger grouping of people or a larger grouping of cities. This was a part of the Decapolis, which was 10 cities that were Greco-Roman cities and they were, they were very famous, and they were very diverse. They were full of Jews and non-Jews, and they were mixed and mingling together, which is why there's actually a herd of pigs in the first place, because Jews don't eat pork. But non-Jews, Gentiles, eat pork, and it was known as the choicest meat. It was a big part of the economy. And 2,000 pigs were now just sent to their death, and they want Jesus out. Isn't this interesting? Because in every other 
place, when Jesus heals someone, and when, he, when something miraculous happens, what do the people do? They start to get their sick and their needy, and they bring them to Jesus. In so many of the other towns where Jesus is staying at night, there are people crowding outside of the house, bringing their sick, bringing their possessed, bringing their weak so that Jesus will heal them. Not so here. They see the power of Jesus. They don't even think about their sick. They don't think about their needy. They kick Jesus out. You see, they reveal what was supremely valuable to them. That's not a mistake for the author to say it was when they heard about what Jesus had done to the man and to the pigs that Jesus is kicked out. You see, demonic systems want to destroy and denigrate life. They want to establish priorities that are not truth and are not good and are not forming for the image of God within us. They want to destroy us through the messaging and norms of the culture. And we find that still to this day. Demonic systems denigrate life. Here are a few of them that I see at work. Demonic systems devalue the life of the unborn. Demonic systems discredit the lives of those crying out in pain. Demonic systems demolish civility and usher in incivility. Demonic systems defend power and marginalize the poor. Demonic systems destroy truth for comfort. And demonic systems celebrate idols and cast out Jesus. Jesus is not welcome in this culture. Jesus is not welcome in this city. Jesus is not welcome in this place because here we want to celebrate these idols and we don't want Jesus to mess with them. But see, Jesus does not tolerate oppression. He does not protect idols. The mission of Jesus is very clear. The mission of Jesus is to restore the image of God in creature and creation. He is restoring the image of God in creature and creation. He has promised that what he is in the process of doing, as we saw last week, as he's revealing the kingdom of God, bringing it to its fullness, it's at hand, but it's not yet. Jesus is making everything new. He is making souls new and systems new. You see, where we will reside for eternity as God's people is in a city that does not have broken systems and is not full of broken people. We will be restored, the image of God perfectly manifested in us and in the culture that Jesus is establishing. He is liberating and he is redeeming and he is challenging. You see, many of us, are raised with a concept of Jesus that's like a domesticated Jesus, right? Jesus is, he's always smiling, he's very nice, he's very calm, and here in America, oftentimes he has blonde locks and he's holding a lamb, you know? I don't know why that image was chosen. He did not have blonde locks, I can tell you that right now. He was a Middle Eastern man. And yet, Jesus is, in fact, gentle. He is, in fact, kind. But Jesus challenges. He liberates because he wants to transform us. And what he calls us to accept and to understand is that he's going to cast our idols into the sea. He's going to drown them. And it may upset us at times. And we may get defensive. And we want to cast Jesus. You can't, don't mess with this area of my life, God. Because we 
are raised in a culture and we accept messaging that wants to distort the image of God within us and wants us to protect our idols and to cast Jesus out of those sections of our life and our city. But Jesus sends them off a cliff and into the sea. Why? To bring life. You see, what is the gospel? The gospel could be summed up in a really short statement. Life comes after death. Life comes after death. What do we see with Christ? After his death comes what? Life. Through identifying with Christ in his death, what comes to you through faith? Life. Sometimes things within us must die so that life can spring forth. Sometimes an idol must die in your life so that life can spring forth. Sometimes a comfort or a tradition or the self has to die so that life can come forth. You have to allow Jesus to speak into those areas of your life that are like pigs that you want to protect. That are are really supremely valuable to you. You have to allow Jesus to speak and to cast them into the sea. You see, that imagery of death we find all throughout Scripture, that we connect with it. The Apostle Paul says in the book of Galatians that we are crucified with Christ, an imagery of death. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 11, listen to this. We who live are constantly, constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake. We are facing death time and time again within our life and within our, our world. Why? So that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our lives. We're being delivered over to death so that Jesus can bring about life. That he can allow, let things die within us. Things die within our lives so that life can spring forth. This is what Jesus does. You see, we need to be people that speak life into our hearts, into the darkness and the brokenness that we face That is not only within us and around us and within our families, but is in our city and is in our country, in our world. We need to speak life into broken people, into broken systems, to a broken culture. And that is exactly how Jesus closes this story. This is so fascinating to me, what Jesus says. At the very end, after all this has happened, in verse 18, it says, As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. This man's like, hey, listen, they don't value me. They obviously value the the pigs. Can I go with you? Like, let me jump in the boat. I'm out of here. Jesus says this. He did not permit him, but he said to him, go to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. What is Jesus' words to this man? Don't come with me. Go back to your people. Go back to your friends. Go back to your city. Go back to the culture and speak life to it. Speak about what I have done. Speak about the power that I bring. Speak about the life and transformation that I offer. And he goes and does it and everyone marvels. You see, what Jesus' command to this man who has just been transformed and free of this legion of demons is take me, the Lord of life, into a culture of death and speak me into it. Bring me there. Don't give up 
on these people. Don't get discouraged by the systems established and the priorities that are out of check. Go speak life. And listen, church, that is the same command for you and for me. Is not to overestimate the demonic and be afraid because you have the spirit of Christ within you. Is also not to underestimate it because there are spiritual forces at play that are at play in your life, that are at play in this world and this culture. And your command is to speak life to your heart, to speak life to your friends, to your family, to your city, and into brokenness wherever you find it. And when I say speak life, do you know what I mean by that? Jesus says that he is the way, the truth, and what? The life. So it is to speak Jesus into your heart, into your heart of your friends, into your family, and into this city that is broken and is facing spiritual darkness that pushes against it time and time again. We're to speak life. Because you know what happens when you speak life? Everyone marvels. Because Jesus is the marvelous one. Amen? Will you pray with me?